When Kira was eight, she kept a diary, and she included a warning on the inside cover. If you have found the key to my diary, please shut the cover and lock it and write a note that tells me who you are. (laughs) But if you don't, I will say this once. Get out. This this book is Previate. (laughs) Thank you. And then I, I wrote my name, but I crossed it out and put the owner of this book. That's Kira protecting her personal information in an analog form. I'm Dan Meisner, and this... This, right now, is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote As Kids. How are you doing? This is a show where we go back in time to remember the good, the bad, and the awkward parts of growing up. This time, recorded live at the Park Theater in Winnipeg, we have fictional eBay listings, an obsession with bubblegum, a poem about a clothes hanger, and much more. This stuff is weird, it is wonderful, and like Kira's diary, a lot of it was at one point, priviate. So think about who you were when you were a kid and stick around. Growing Up is a series of firsts, and our next reader, Bridget, shared a couple of diary entries written from ages 12 to 16 that chronicle a few of her firsts. Her first date, her first kiss, her first days of junior high, and some of her first heartbreak. Please welcome Bridget to our stage. Dear Diary, Grade 7, Brackets, wow. I can't believe I'm going into grade seven. Ike rumba. <laughs> it sounds so old. I'm a little scared, but excited at the same time. Junior high is supposedly the hardest thing in your life. <laughs> but I think it'll be great. School dances, school sports, shaving your legs. (laughs) Hee hee. (laughs) And maybe even boyfriends. April 10. I had my first date tonight. It was just how I wanted it to be. Mathieu and I went to see a movie, brackets, anger management. And we held hands and cuddled a bit, and at the end of the date, he gave me a kiss goodnight. My first kiss, besides truth or dare and spin the bottle. (laughs) But one that came spontaneously. It was short but sweet. Kissy lips drawing. (laughs) April 3rd. Welcome to the home of my heart and soul. I caught you in my baseball glove. Christmas in in June, Halloween in September, red and orange, you and me. Your hand-me-downs don't fit anymore. I bought a new pair, apple, Orange, banana, guava. 
you be summer, I be winter, and we fall. <laughs> eBay item up for sale. Your heart. <laughs> I'd pay two helium balloons with teddy bear across the front, Star Wars M&Ms, a couple days a week, my focus, and a brilliant kisses. <laughs> and there were no other bidders that I'm aware of, but the offer was rejected. <laughs> <laughs> eBay item up for sale, my heart. Oh wait, not up for sale. <laughs> hey, give it back. <laughs> Such a weird kid. Such a weird kid. <laughs> okay. The people in my life, those people who are my reason. Those people who are my hot soup on a cold day, like today. The loves, the friends, the kindred spirits, the rocks, the being there and understanding. Your bum, my pillow. <laughs> a quick email saying I miss you, and you, believing in me. I can feel you all wrapped around me. I am so warm on this cold December day. Thank you. What I love about Bridget's diary entries is you can pinpoint exactly the moment she discovered metaphor as a literary device. It was so good. Dating in high school can be confusing, to say the least. And not just for the couples. You see, when everybody around you seems to be falling in love and pairing off, it's easy to feel left out if you're not in a romantic relationship. Our next reader, Amy, shared a couple of notes that she passed back and forth in school with her best friend, where they wrote about not having boyfriends. Please welcome Amy to our stage. A quick heads up, Amy's notes include some cuss words, which you do not bleep. They also acknowledge the existence of sex. Uh, so this is my notebook. It's called The Notebook, and it's what me and my best friend Shannon would pass notes covertly in class to each other. And this, uh, this little bit of correspondence is about how everyone has boyfriends and we don't. <laughs> it starts with me. It really does seem like everyone is dating. People you wouldn't expect to be getting any. <laughs> like Quinn and Nick. <laughs> As of now, I really hate boys. I'm thinking about giving up on them altogether. I'll become asexual. <laughs> Just wait. Uh, <laughs> maybe I'll invest in a really good vibrator. Maybe I should just lower my standards. I'll go for grade nine and ugly. 
It seems logical since grade 11 and adorable hasn't been showing much results. <laughs> Maybe I'm trying too hard. Maybe it takes time. Maybe I'm not trying hard enough. Maybe I should be more direct. Maybe I should become bulimic and dye my hair 53 times and work on my bendiness. <laughs> so far, I think I should just give up altogether on Kevin. He's an especially hopeless case. Here's what's making me think these extreme thoughts. So I call Kevin to see what he's doing on Friday. Most pathetic conversation ever. It lasted less than four minutes. Four minutes, that's in all caps. <laughs> How am I supposed to have a relationship with someone if I can't have a conversation for four minutes? Maybe it's a sign. Maybe I'm just really not ready for anything real at all. Or maybe I'm doomed. <laughs> And then this also leads to my theory that I just value people so much more than they could give a damn about me. If he liked me half as much as I like him, he'd want to talk to me for more than four minutes. <laughs> this whole situation is tragic and pathetic. I wonder what is a good shape for a vibrator. <laughs> uh, this is uh, Shannon's response. Well, first of all, Kevin is not a lost cause. I'm almost positive that he's just not the phone type of person. Brayden says that they don't have conversations much more than one and a half minutes, and when I talk to him on the phone, it's like one minute tops. <laughs> so I think four minutes is quite an accomplishment. <sighs> Everyone is so obsessed about dating. First of all, I just can't compete with Erica. There's just no chance there. That was uh, the boy she likes, girlfriend. And then this is my response. Really? Four minutes isn't bad? That has changed my perspective slightly. I've had like 15-minute conversations with him before. He really needs to learn to carry out a phone conversation. Also, you don't give yourself enough credit. Erica is nothing compared to you. Sure, she's thin and pretty and bendy, but bendiness only gets you so far in life. She's... <laughs> She's stupid and annoying, and she's so stupid, and naturally she's not that pretty. You are a natural beauty. You're brilliant, athletic, artistic, funny, witting, and fucking fantastic, so you should stop saying you can't compete with that dumb whore. <laughs> this obsession of everyone has with pairing off is getting frustrating. We just have high standards and we're not gonna let anyone treat us like crap. We are not doomed, we're not hopeless. We are strong, independent women. And even if we have boyfriends, we're still strong and independent women. And we're still best friends and we're still strong, independent women today. Like I've learned a lot about the important attribute of bendiness tonight. <laughs> Amy wasn't the only one at our Winnipeg show who felt self-conscious about not having a boyfriend in high school. Our next reader, Becca, shared a few journal entries she wrote at 15 when she was still figuring out just what she wanted in a romantic relationship. 
Dear Diary, today I wrote two exams, one for math and one for geography. The math one was actually almost fun, but the geography one was too long to finish. I got very close to finishing, but it won't drop my mark too much. I was mildly distracted today, not during the exam, in between, by a certain boy. I honestly couldn't stop thinking about him. I'm definitely not in love. Love is more romantic than this. Blah. <laughs> That's what I want. I'm already smart. I have everything in order, but I want love. <laughs> sometimes, and this is one of my most frightening secrets, but sometimes I feel so lonely that I just want to throw myself out there and get a boyfriend. I'm not so sad that I want to do anything rash, but I really need to find someone who will make me feel special. My friends don't make anyone feel special. In fact, they make everyone within a one kilometer radius feel worse about themselves than they did to start. <laughs> and then um, there's this little heart that says Andrew plus Rebecca. Um, all I can ever think about doing is kissing him. I understand that I'm not as pretty or as sociable as other girls, but I really think I could be a pretty sexy girlfriend. <laughs> and I honestly have the potential to love him. I think so that I won't get too lonely. I'll try and have a G-rated summer fling. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like only beautiful people with no problems, no stress, and experience can date. I don't know how to go about getting a boyfriend. My biggest fear is that I will die alone, a virgin, never having been in love. <laughs> so uh, I wrote pretty infrequently, so this next entry was a couple months later. Dear Diary, I have realized two things. Number one, I have gotten nowhere with Andrew. And number two, I'm bisexual. <laughs> So now I like James and possibly Ashley. I'm just very confused. <laughs> I know I like James, but I'm an ugly virgin and he has two girls hanging off of him all the time. I think I will tell Ashley I'm bisexual and see how she reacts before I go completely crazy. But I want James in so many ways. I want to hug him and have him there and make out with him and fall asleep on his chest. But I also want a girl. <laughs> to have an affair with and be secretive <laughs> and get so entangled with that we can't unlock from each other. I want to have an experience that's entirely my own. I will do something crazy this week. I want to carpe diem. Thank you. <laughs> Not everything we hear at Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids is funny. Sometimes readers get on stage and share writing that gets at the darker or more difficult parts of growing up. Our next reader, Selena, brought a short story that she wrote for her creative writing class in high school when she was 17. This was one of those assignments where the teacher would give the class a writing prompt and then everybody had to respond to that prompt. And in this case, the prompt was a picture that looked down over the edge of a bridge. And the question was, what would you say to somebody who was about to jump? 
What reasons to live would you give that person? Selena says she wrote this story from the perspective of the person who was about to jump. She said it was fiction, but she says, really, she wrote this to tell herself what she needed to hear at the time. Please welcome to the Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote As Kids stage, Selena. A quick heads up, Selena's story addresses suicide. There's your heads up. Here's Selena. Um, Before I start, I want to have one anecdote, which is at this time in my life, I really loved the thesaurus. You should know that. (laughs) The The title of this story is Not Today. The stark lines of the bridge framing the roaring water below created a mercurial tableau. My desolate figure disrupted the continuity of the scene. Soon all would be harmonious again. I looked down. The distance between me and the end was shrinking rapidly. I edged my toes forward, inch by hopeless inch. A bitter wind whipped my hair into unfinished question marks around my uncertain head. The steady traffic behind me pounded through my veins, stronger and more invasive than with any passion I'd ever imagined. Quickly and with little warning, the world went silent. There was nothing to hear but the slow rush of blood, nothing to see but the void of my carbon paper mind. Every atom in my body was stilled. I stretched out my arms, preparing to fly into the cold embrace of eternal sleep. Eyes closed, I began to lean forward. Gradually, I sensed someone next to me. It was enough to make me stop and open my eyes. Slowly, oh so slowly, I shifted my gaze from the river to the person standing on my right. He was staring straight out at the water, just as I had been moments earlier. Around his neck was a deep red scarf to accent his wool coat. Hands in pockets, he turned to meet my gaze as if this was any other day and said, Noisy up here, isn't it? I stared at him. Yeah, I said after a long pause. Forgive me, I'm Oliver, he said, sticking out his hand. Nora, I shook it. What brings you here this fine morning? His eyes pierced right into me as he spoke. Something about the way he seemed to be able to see right through me made me know I wouldn't be able to conceal anything even if I tried. Besides, I was tired of pretending. To be honest, I came here with every intention that I wouldn't be home again, I admitted. There, it was out in the open. Time for him to begin his rebuttal, those tired excuses for living that begin to flow freely as soon as people catch a whiff of suicide. I was sick of them all. If that's so, I would think you'd have done it already. What are you waiting for? He questioned with a hint of a smile. His words left me momentarily speechless. I wasn't sure whether he was genuinely questioning or just being an insolent prick. (laughs) What, do you think I lack the nerve to off myself? I chose insolent prick. Quite the opposite. I looked down at my toes, then back at him. At the moment, the only thing keeping me here is you, I said finally. Oliver took his hands out of his pockets and laced them together in front of him. It's harder than it looks, isn't it? He said thoughtfully, killing yourself. I took a deep breath. I never thought it would be this hard, seeing as I'm as good as dead already. Something's caught you every time, hasn't it, he said. Even when you're drowning in the pain of living, there's a stubborn part of you that keeps on pushing through. I can see it, Nora. There's a light and it's burning through the walls you've got behind your eyes. He looked over at me and smiled. There's a certain something in his expression that I hadn't noticed before. I swept my eyes from the water to the sky and back again. The river rushed below me, just as it always will. 
but it did not look nearly as inviting as it once had. It was merely dangerous, no longer seductive. I noticed something else with me at the bottom of my black hole, a tiny spark. I reached over to touch Oliver's hand. It didn't seem like much, but I felt like he deserved a thank you. My hand fumbled through the air. I turned my head. Where Oliver had been standing, there was nothing but empty air. I grinned and shook my head in disbelief. As I turned on my heel to walk away, I took one final look down at the icy water that had been so close to becoming my deathbed. Not today, I said aloud. Then I walked away and I never looked back. Thank you. The biggest thing that strikes me about that writing was how much I was, how much I was struggling, but also how much I was fighting at that time in my life to find my purpose and, yeah, to really understand and value myself as a person. When I, when I found this writing again, it just, it overwhelmed me. I felt like the place that I was at at that point in my life, I'm sure so many other people have been there and felt that. And so if I could go back in time and tell my younger self something, I think all it would be is that it's okay to depend on other people, to ask other people for help. You don't have to be your own island, you know, which is a very attractive concept for me. But it's, yeah, I wish that I could have known then that I don't need to be completely self-sufficient. It's, a, it's okay and it's actually a really good thing to open up to people and tell them what you're struggling with. Joining us on stage right now, we are going to hear our next reader, Gabriel, share a few selections from the writer's notebook that he kept in grade four. This was written for school, and I believe he has the original artifact in his hands right now. Please welcome to our stage, Gabriel. My teacher made us read every day and write every day. And at first we didn't know what to write, so she said, just let the pencil do the writing. So I wrote random nonsense, um, like this. If you wake up and eat movies until the giant comes to take you to school, you, you will go to the principal's office straight away because your bladder wants to watch a loud movie in class. Uh, this looks like a diary entry. I wake up at 6 o'clock a.m. on Sunday. I'm limp as a noodle and tired as a lion after a big hunt. I hear my mother call me. Hurry up, you have a busy day ahead. So I change... No, I, I crossed that out. So I wash up and go downstairs to have breakfast. I say to my mom, hi. She says, stop arguing. <laughs> I ignore her. Then I say, what's for breakfast? 
I told you to stop arguing. She always thinks I'm arguing. Sometimes I get really upset. I eat breakfast, but now I have to go have a shower. Some people get to choose when they have a shower. Uh, I discovered that uh, I discovered poetry because when you write poetry you don't need to make anything up you just write about things that you see in front of you uh, clothes hanger <laughs> the sleek silver clothes hook slopes down from peak to canopy boldly bolted to the wall it reaches out ready to do its job Uh, sometimes I tried to be profound. <clears throat> this is called hushed wisdom. Silent wisdom in the mist, glistening, sheer like silk, floating, knowing. It is wisdom of long ago, but still too quick to be caught. <laughs> uh, I liked Shel Silverstein. I tried to write like Shel Silverstein. This one is called Sleepy Freckles. In a mirror, I take a peep. All my freckles have fallen asleep. They snore on my nose, they snore on my cheek. And if someone sees me, they will be freaked. So I'm staying in my room, trying to wake them up. First the one I call Little Tup. Then his mother and his father too, but they won't wake up, it just won't do. So I decide to go to sleep. My mother opens the door and goes, Eep! That's, that's the end of that one. Um, we were told to write about our favorite things. My favorite color is green. The rich green in a deep forest after it rains. So green that it smells of pine. And the cheery spring green that wanders about the sea, in the start of a new day, white where the sky and the water meets. So another one like Shel Silverstein. It's called Loud Poem. My eardrums will pop if I hear any more. It's too loud, it's too loud, it's loudness galore. The world will blow up from the crust to the core. It's too loud, it's too loud, my ears are really sore. Now it's so loud no one can hear. They see me jumping up and down and have no fear. It's too loud, it's too... What's that you say? I'm listening to my Walkman on full blast? Oops, never mind. What I love about Gabriel's poetry is it's walking that very fine line between deeply profound and complete nonsense. I love that. When Radine was in grade six, she kept a diary. And at our Winnipeg show, Radine shared a couple of entries, starting with one that explains just how excited she was for a new school year 
and her enthusiasm for bubblegum. September 6, 1976. I start grade six this week. Yippee! Got all my school supplies and I got a new pencil case that I can fit one pencil, two pens, and an eraser, and four packs of bubble yum. <laughs> I need four packs so that if I get caught chewing gum, I can give everyone a piece. <laughs> September 8th, 1976. Mrs. Hannah is so stupid. She caught me chewing gum and she was supposed to say, do you have enough for everyone? But she just took it all away. (laughs) September 12th, 1976. I got more bubble yum for my pencil case. (laughs) September 13th, 1976. Mr. Carmichael told me to spit out my gum. I said, I could give everyone a piece of gum, and he said I could do that at recess. Ugh. <laughs> September 21st, 1976. Robin dared Tony to a bubble-blowing contest today, so I gave them some bubble yum. We had to swear, swear, swear that nobody would pop the other people's bubbles. Diane wanted to blow bubbles, too, so we let her, of course, because she's got a bad temper. She beats up boys. Robin and Tony and Diane blew bubbles, but they didn't get very big ones, so I gave them another piece of gum, and then Tony took my last pack of gum and put it all in his mouth and made a big bubble. (laughs) September 28, 1976. I'm never, never, never eating supper at Colleen's again. Her mom put a big scoop of peas on my plate without even asking me. And then made me sit there until I ate them all, even after everyone was done supper and she was done the dishes. So Colleen and I didn't get to play, and I sat there, and I wouldn't eat the peas until it was time to go home. (laughs) December 7th, 1976. Colleen showed me how to make glue nails. I poured my glue in the desk until it got mostly hard, then peeled it out and cut out my nail pieces. They don't stick on very long, but they look really neat. (laughs) December 20th, 1976. We had to clean our desks out today, and I had to scrape all my glue nails out. (laughs) February 22nd, 1977. I hate Mr. Porteous. He is the meanest, grossest teacher at Lavarandre. He gave me detention today. I've never, ever had detention before. He told us he wanted to hear total and profane silence. Well, everybody read pages 297 to 300. So Robin asked me what pages were we supposed to be reading, so I was telling her, and Mr. Porteous yelled, Radine, that's 10 minutes, detention. And I said, but I was, and he yelled, that's another 10 minutes. Do you want to go for a half an hour? And then I started crying because he was so mean. But detention wasn't so bad because I just read my book. I got a bunch of harlequin romances for Auntie Rose, and they are so good. Thank you. I know what you're probably asking yourself. No, Radine did not bring enough gum for the entire Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids audience. Oh, did I read? You didn't hear. 
That is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids. Our show was recorded live at the Park Theater in Winnipeg and produced by Jenna Meisner. Olivia Nashmi is our associate producer. Our music is by Pottington Bear and Lullatone. And our closing theme is Oh Dear Diary by Sloan. If you want to know about upcoming live events, the single best thing you can do is join our email newsletter. Just visit grownups.fm and click newsletter. That way you will be the first to know when we're coming to your town. That is grownups.fm. Click newsletter or even easier, use the link in the episode notes on your device right now. I'm Dan Meisner. Thanks for listening. Secrets